Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for January 16th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to be talking about a little bit of news, including some Venom rumors, Fantastic Beast sequel details, Paddington 2 breaks some records, and Creed 2 casting. And in our feature presentation, we're going to be talking about the 12 most anticipated films of this year's Sundance Film Festival which we will be covering for the site. Uh, this is Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Slash Film Writer, Chris Evangelista. Hello. We are prepping for Sundance. We'll get to that a little bit later, but uh, you know, news is still coming in a little bit slow. But we have some, some uh, bites on the news vine today. Uh, let's start it off with some superhero rumors. Brad, is Spider-Man... Is Tom Holland as Spider-Man going to appear in the Venom movie? Man, I hope not. Um, <laughs> there, so Amy Pascal, Kevin Feige, and Tom Holland have all said that the new Venom movie that Sony is currently shooting with Tom Hardy in the lead role as one of the, the most iconic Spider-Man villains is not tied to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in any way. It will be separate. It will exist in its own Spider-Man universe. Um, and there won't be any crossover there. However, a new rumor has come from John Schnepp, who is uh, the director of the documentary The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened, which recounts the whole debacle behind the abandoned superhero Superman movie that would have seen Nicolas Cage as Superman, directed by Tim Burton. Uh, and he appeared on Collider's Movie Talk and uh, said quite confidently and almost definitively, that Spider-Man is going to be in Venom, and not just Spider-Man, but specifically Tom Holland Spider-Man. He says, for the past couple of months, we've been hearing how Sony is keeping it all separated, and Spider-Man is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but every other character that's in the Spider-Man universe is separate. All I'm saying is that Spider-Man, and I'm talking about Tom Holland Spider-Man, is going to be in Venom. Now, while initially it might seem like that could be a cool thing by... Uh, indicating that Venom is now part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That doesn't sound like something that Disney and Marvel Studios would allow to happen, because as far as we know, unless there's some secret deal that happened behind the scenes that no one's found out about yet, Marvel and Disney have no say whatsoever 
with what's going on with Venom, which is supposed to be this R-rated sci-fi movie that is existed in a Spider-Man universe. So I can't imagine that Disney and Marvel would be too keen on sending their uh, Spider-Man from the Marvel Cinematic Universe into an R-rated movie to make an appearance and have that movie tied to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, there's always a chance that maybe Tom Holland will appear as Spider-Man and this Spider-Man universe will be separate from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But that sounds like it has confusion. That makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it makes sense when you think about the idea of how Marvel comic books have different universes where the same version of a character exists. But I feel like when we're talking about, you know, big blockbuster movies that cost millions of dollars to make, that sounds way too confusing for general audiences. And everyone's going to wonder, you know, whether they're connected, they're going to have to explain all this stuff. Um, So I, I just... I feel like this is either false or maybe Marvel is being a little bit bold and they're doing something secretive. I don't know. I, I feel like the best solution is if you want to have Spider-Man in your Venom movie, just make it a different Spider-Man. Like, use a live-action Miles Morales. Or, if Sony plans on continuing to expand their Spider-Man universe like this, why not introduce someone like Spider-Gwen into the mix and, you know, start building this a female-centric Spider-Man universe? They'll, they'll confuse people even more, I think. Uh, th- the thing is here, I I just don't think Disney would trust Sony to develop this movie, which is an R-rated movie, and put their character into the like it. It seems like the deal that they made was that they, you know the Spider-Man movies, Disney is kind of doing most of the work, and Sony is distributing. So it it just doesn't make any sense. But at the same time, I'm kind of like a Venom movie doesn't make much sense without Spider-Man. So, I don't know. I'm very conflicted. Uh, I know John Snepp uh, has been reliable in the past, but for some reason I don't buy this. I don't know. Um, but let's move on uh, f- uh, from superhero news to uh, the Wizarding World. And we have learned that all five Fantastic Beast movies will be set in different cities around this Wizarding World. Chris, what do we know? Yeah, so the the first Fantastic Beast film, Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Them, was set in New York City. Uh, the second one is apparently uh, the, the Crimes of Grindelwald is, is set in Paris. And now David Yates, the director who is going to direct all five of these films, confirmed that every single film is going to be set in a different city. Um, they're keeping the, the future cities under wraps right now. They're not saying what the next city will be, but... Uh, apparently that's the the sort of gimmick, I guess you could call it, for these films, that every film is going to be set in a whole new place, which is going to just be expanding, I guess, the world of the story. I think the problem here is, you know, I, with the Harry Potter movies, I like the characters. The world is incredible, but I like the characters. In the Fantastic Beast movies, I don't particularly like any of the characters. <laughs> Um, but I do like the world building. I like J.K. Rowling's The Wizarding World. So if these movies are going to get give me a look more at this world, at different corners of this world that we did not see in the Harry Potter films, uh, I think that might be worth it. Um, I mean, we'll have to see. I'm not sure. Uh, but let's ju- let's jump back to superheroes. Let's jump back to Marvel and Disney. Our next story revolves around Avengers 4 and Chris Hemsworth. Avengers 4 will finish off Chris Hemsworth's Marvel contract. Does that mean it is the end of Thor? Yeah, uh, Chris Hemsworth confirmed that Avengers 4 is the last round that he is contractually obligated to fulfill as Thor. Um, Now, 
that doesn't necessarily mean that Thor is done with. As we saw back when Robert Downey Jr. finished up his contract with Marvel, or at least was coming close to it, uh, Marvel renegotiated with him for the last two Avengers movies, Infinity War and Avengers 4, and also added into the mix his role in Spider-Man Homecoming. So renegotiation is always possible, but the interesting thing about the timing of um, contracts expiring right now is that Avengers Infinity War and Avengers 4 are going to shake up the Marvel Cinematic Universe quite a bit because they're dealing with uh, Thanos as a villain who will likely be taking down some Marvel superheroes uh, for good. He's supposed to be this huge threat to be reckoned with. He'll have the Infinity Stones and the Infinity Gauntlet at his disposal. So uh, it seems like we're going to see some superheroes either retiring or being uh, taken out through doom, essentially. Um, Whether Thor is one of them remains to be seen. And there's really no indication that that Thor will die. We know that when the next uh, era of Marvel movies comes into play, which is what you would call Phase 4, essentially, they'll be expanding a lot more. There'll be a lot more cosmic stories. And they'll be focusing on the newer superheroes that are being introduced over the next couple years, uh, like Black Panther, Ant-Man will continue to expand, Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange, those kinds of heroes. And the core uh, team members from the original Avengers, Thor, Iron Man, Hulk, and all them, will uh, start to go by the wayside a little bit. Now, Chris Hemsworth and Taika Waititi had already talked about some potential ideas for Thor 4, but Kevin Feige has already said they're concentrating on Avengers right now, not really sure what will happen with the future. And again, even them talking about ideas doesn't necessarily indicate that Thor is definitely going to be alive. Some might consider like any talk of Thor 4 as a spoiler, but let's not forget that James Gunn and Michael Rooker also made it look like Michael Rooker was going to be in Avengers Infinity War by having him take a couple pictures on set with an Avengers Infinity War crew hat and everything. And that was to throw people off the scent that Yondu died in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So... It, they're pretty good at keeping secrets at Marvel, and it's really hard to tell whether Thor is actually uh, going to be leaving the Marvel Cinematic Universe after Avengers 4, uh, if Chris Hemsworth will renegotiate his contract or not. Um, it's, we'll probably have to wait until after Avengers 4 comes out to see what happens. Now, I, I know I've already said this on this podcast, but I think at the, at the place that Thor Ragnarok, the last scene of Thor Ragnarok ends, uh, it kind of, you know, it, they're giving less reason for there to be another Thor movie in my opinion and it seems to add up you know I don't know anything that you guys don't know but from a storytelling perspective it seems to add up that Thor is probably going to not make it through these next two Avengers movies Um, I would personally and I've said this before too like to see Valkyrie uh, take on the the role as uh, of 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 what uh, the mightiest uh, Thor so uh, we'll have to see what happens there. You know, we we still don't know what is really going to happen after Avengers four. I think the the closest we've heard is what uh, Black Widow movie, and that's in the scripting stage. So we're we're gonna have to wait and see. Um, Paddington two hit theaters this last weekend, um, and has been very critically acclaimed, uh, earning a itself in one of the highest positions on Rotten Tomatoes uh, listings. Chris, tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, 2018 is is very young still, but the already the most acclaimed film of the year is Paddington 2, uh, which took its place uh, on Rotten Tomatoes as the fourth film to score 100% with over 100 reviews. Uh, the other films are Toy Story 2, 
the documentary Man on Wire and uh, a French film called Things to Come. Um, of course, everyone probably remembers uh, last month, Lady Bird had that distinction for a long time. And then some guy came along and said no and destroyed its chances. <laughs> but uh, and uh, it's also petting it to is also the second family film in history to remain at 100 uh, percent. And the first is, of course, Toy Story 2, which I mentioned a minute ago. I was actually kind of wondering how long would it take after we wrote the story on uh, what was this? Was this on Friday or was this yesterday? Uh, I think it went up yesterday. Yeah. It went up yesterday. How long it would take for this to get ruined? Because nobody wants, you know, whatever movie to have this distinction, and um, it's it's still at a hundred percent. So. Give it time. Someone, someone will rise to the challenge of destroying that one hundred percent. Yes. Um, maybe, maybe the guy that brought down Lady Bird because he seems to uh, be, be vindictive like that. Uh, yeah, he likes that. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, let's move on to our last story, which is a bit of casting for Creed Two. They have finally found uh, Ivan Drago's son, Brad. Tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, a while back last year, Sylvester Stallone had been teasing that they would be bringing back Dolph Lundgren as Ivan Drago and that uh, the Russian boxer's son might be the next big opponent for Michael B. Jordan's Adonis Creed to face in the ring. Uh, and there had been rumors that they were looking to fill the role. Um, there was an MMA fighter that named Sage Northcutt who said that he turned in a tape for an audition for the role. Uh, but, but at the time, we still didn't get confirmation that that was the role he was auditioning for or if there was any truth to what Sylvester Stallone was teasing or if he was just testing the waters to see if fans were interested in, in that kind of angle. Uh, but now we do have confirmation uh, that Ivan Drago's son is indeed uh, a big part of the sequel as a new opponent for Adonis Creed to face. And he'll be played by um, real-life Romanian boxer Florian Muntinu. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, apparently his nickname in the ring is Big Nasty. Uh, and if you check out the article we wrote on Slash Film, there's like this fitness promotion video uh, of him working out and doing insane things that I wish that I could do with my body. <laughs> um, he is just ripped and huge, and he looks like uh, an intimidating dude. Um, so hopefully he's got the acting chops to, to back it up as well to be a, a good performer. And not to say that Dolph Lundgren was necessarily the best actor, but <laughs> um, so what's but, but t- t- Tell me this, Brad. I'm looking at this photo of Big Nasty, and uh, Big Nasty's arm looks bigger than all of Michael B. Jordan's body. Uh, that it how is it possible that they fight in the same? Uh, don't they have like a weight limit or like, like you know, have like isn't there like you fight in the same class? They do, yeah, they do have weight classes in boxing, but there's no telling that maybe Michael B. Jordan isn't going to bulk up a little bit more for this for this match. Uh, you know, there's also, as we've seen in the previous Rocky movies, there were also, um, you know, underground matches. You know, even Creed and Sylvester Stallone uh, had a, a match that was fought off the books that was, that was a secret fight. So maybe the fight that they have won't be an official match, and that's how they end up uh, getting in the ring together again. Um, what will be interesting about this is that Ivan Drago is the one who is responsible for killing, Apo- killing Apollo Creed. Um, in the Rocky franchise. So it seems like Adonis is definitely going to have an axe to grind when it comes to facing his son in the ring. And I'm also interested in seeing exactly what it's like when Sylvester Stallone and Dolph Lundgren uh, run into each other again. 
And for our feature presentation, we're going to be talking about our 12 most anticipated films of the 2018 Sundance Film Festival. And joining us for this conversation is Slash Film Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Not much. Uh, so, guys, we all head to Park City, Utah tomorrow for Sundance. I've been going for many years now. I think 2004 was my first. Uh, it, ben has been there a couple times. Brad, how many years have you been? Uh, this is my seventh year, I think. And Chris, you're you're a newbie to Sundance. Yes, I have never been to Sundance. But you have been to many other film festivals, so I'm sure you will figure it out. Um, Sundance to me is very special because, uh, you know, before Slash Film, I, uh, you know, would look to Sundance. Uh, it was inspiration, uh, you know, filmmakers like Kevin Smith and Richard Linkletter who were able to create these movies that were like these small independent things, not funded by, you know, big studios and able to get distribution deals. Uh, you know, I, I was a, an aspiring filmmaker before I was a, a, you know, started Slash Film. I was actually a volunteer at Sundance, uh, volunteering my time just so I could be in Park City and see the movies. Um, so Sundance is something very special to me. Uh, Brad, what is Sundance to you? Yeah, this is, uh, you know, long before I became a, an entertainment uh, news writer, I had dreamt of going to Sundance. I would always keep up on coverage. I was always excited to see the movies that got selected for the festival once they were picked up for distribution. And I, well, I think what I love about it is it's at the very beginning of the year, and it's a festival that starts a lot of buzz for a lot of these small movies, some of which uh, can go on to get Oscar nominations, uh, Whiplash being one of the most famous examples in recent memory. And I think it's, it's just cool to be up in the mountains away fr from everything else and see these movies that no one has seen yet there, experience them for the first time. Uh, there's always an excitement around the festival of what people are seeing. Everyone in line is talking about, what have you seen? What have you liked? And uh, there's just a, gr a great groundswell of support for these movies that uh, comes out of Sundance and can often drive it all the way to the end. So it's, it's just cool to be part of that and see these movies without any, re uh, you know, really preconceived notions about what to expect. Yeah, and I think it's cool, too, that, you know, the buzz begins at Sundance for some of these big films, like The Big Sick played at Sundance last year, didn't have a distributor, you know, sparked a bidding war, Amazon bought it. Now, you know, Big Sick is one of the biggest, uh, one, one of the best films of the year. Uh, Call Me By Your Name, you know, there was there was a bunch from this year. Uh, and it's not just like, you know, these small indie dramas, like the first year I was at Sundance in 2004, the first Saw film premiered at Sundance and became huge. So, you know, that spawned a huge horror horror franchise. Uh, ben, uh, what does Sundance mean for you? I mean, a lot of what Brad just said. I, I love the idea that it's in January. It's really like uh, wiping the slate clean from the previous year and, and sort of laying out a lot of uh, the big movies that are going to be you know, debuting throughout the rest of 2018. Um, I also like how contained it is. I mean, there are some theaters that are sort of a, a little bit, you know, more far flung than others. But for the most part, a lot of the at least when I've been to, to Sundance, a lot of the critics and, and uh, you know, writers and journalists all, all tend to sort of be in the same uh, vicinity throughout the whole festival. So that sort of helps, you know, build camaraderie and, and all of that. And it's cool to see people who, you know, live on the other side of the country, like Brad and, and you know, people that I don't get to see all the time. So, um, you know, there's there's a, a social component to it, but also just like the 
you know, really like laying the groundwork for um, and sort of setting the tone for what the year in movies can be. And lastly, Chris, you've gone to the Toronto International Film Festival, which is kind of the, you know, a lot of films premiere there that are award season films. But Sundance, I think, is a lot smaller. What what are you anticipating from your first Sundance? I don't know. It's um, it's, it's a little surreal because uh, I've always, you know, been aware of the Sundance Film Festival, but I never really thought I would even ever go to it. And, you know, at at TIFF, by the time the films at TIFF come to TIFF, there's a lot of buzz about a lot of them, almost all of them. Whereas uh, Sundance, everything is more or less new. I mean, there's some some there's some carryover. Like they're they're playing the death of Stalin, and I actually saw that at last year's TIFF. But uh, it's a little strange to have to sort of pick and choose through things with almost no buzz about them. I, I've never had to do that at a festival before, so I'm a little worried. I'm going to end up picking duds, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, you do bring up an interesting point. Like when you go to TIFF, you kind of have like these big filmmakers and big stars to kind of guide your way a little bit. And uh, you've heard about some of these movies. Sundance, it's very much um, the slate of movies as a whole. I don't think any movie other than the ones that premiered at other festivals ahead of time, uh, any movie on this year's festival slate was something, you know, I was uh, that was on my radar. You know, these movies are off the radar. So uh, right now we're going to talk about our most anticipated films of Sundance. As Chris said, these could be duds. Uh, many times I go to Sundance and I go into a film expecting greatness and it is, you know, not so great. Uh, they they get submitted thousands of films to Sundance and they choose a couple hundred. And uh, e- even with those couple hundred, you know, it's, it's, it's not all of them are great. Uh, but... We wanted to, because we're going there, we're going to be covering it. We're going to be talking about it on the Slash Film Daily uh, and on the site. I w- we wanted to put some of these films on your radar because we're, we're going to be checking them out over the next uh, week and a half. So let's start things off. And We don't have an order for this. This is just a, a random order, a random assortment of films that are playing at Sundance that we are excited about. But let's, just, let's start this off with Ben and American Animals. Yes, uh, Bart Layton is the director of this one. He made a movie called The Imposter, a documentary back in 2012 that uh, I think it's been on Netflix or it was. that's how I watched it um, last year, or maybe the year before. It took me a little while to catch up with it, but that's a really fascinating movie. And I think, um, you know, people who are uh, into documentaries have probably at least heard of this film. Um, American Animals is his first narrative feature. So I'm excited to see sort of how he makes the jump uh, between storytelling styles there uh the plot synopsis is that the film tells quote the unbelievable but mostly true story of four young men who mistake their lives for a movie and attempt one of the most audacious art heists in u.s history Uh, apparently it's based on a true story or at least loosely based on a true story so that's sort of fascinating uh i'm a big fan of heist movies and the sort of meta construct of characters, uh, you know, mistaking their lives for a movie. That sounds like something that I'm interested in. And uh, the cast includes Evan Peters from X-Men Days of Future Past and American Horror Story. Uh, Blake Jenner from Everybody Wants Some. Ann Dowd, who's been popping up in a ton of TV lately with The Leftovers and Handmaid's Tale. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this one. 
Yeah, and as you mentioned, The Imposter is an amazing documentary. If you haven't seen it, you know, not every film that comes out of Sundance that is good, you know, gets discovered. Uh, by the the vast majority does not. And The Imposter was a film I saw at Sundance that I really loved and had kind of had a cinematic take on the documentary. So I, it makes sense that he's going into narrative features. But let's go from that to Brad's first pick, The Catcher Was a Spy. Yeah, uh, this sounds like it uh, has the potential to be really interesting. I'm kind of a, a sucker for these movies that take a person from uh, one arena where they're uh, extremely skilled and putting them somewhere where you necessarily wouldn't expect them to excel. Uh, and in this case, this movie, um, if you haven't figured it out by the title, Paul Rudd plays a Major League Baseball catcher who is recruited by uh, the World War II equivalent of the CIA to stop a German scientist from building an atomic bomb for the Nazis. Um, the character he plays is uh, somebody who was ex- extremely smart. He was uh, very good on, on quiz shows, um, very very affable. And so he, he kind of makes the perfect person to turn into a spy. Um, this also has an incredible cast along with Paul Rudd. It's got Jeff Daniels. It's got Guy Pierce, It's got Paul Giamatti, Mark Strong, Sienna Miller. And it's directed by Ben Lewin, who directed The Sessions, which was a big Sundance movie a while back uh, with John Hawks and Helen Hunt. And I'm really interested in this just because it kind of feels like a bit like an old school, almost Hitchcockian kind of, of thriller, you know, with a, a guy who's being taken out of his element, um, you know, put into a, a stressful situation. And I, I also just like the generally the, the throwback title that feels like a movie that would have been made in like the 40s or 50s or something like that. So I'm interested to see uh, what Paul Rudd does in a role like this, because even though he's recently been playing a superhero for Marvel, uh, most of the time he's either in romantic comedies or just straight up comedies. And we haven't really seen him in a role like this before. And my first pick is a film called eighth grade. Uh, I'm a sucker for coming of age movies and especially the subgenre of indie Sundance coming of age dramedies. Um, I, I, I don't have much experience with him, but Bo Burnham, uh, is you know a comedy actor. He's had some stand-up specials. I think um, he's had supporting roles in films ranging from Funny People to The Big Sick. And uh, this is his feature directorial debut. Um, and it's about a teenager who is trying to survive that last week of her disastrous eighth-grade eighth year before leaving to start high school. Uh, this one comes from A24, the indie film company responsible for Moonlight, Room. Good Time, The Florida Project, The Disaster Artist, Lady Bird. So basically, to say they have a good track record is an understatement. Um, so that why that is why 8th Grade is on my most anticipated list. And let's get to Chris's first pick, and that is Lizzie. Uh, yeah, this comes from a director named Craig William McNeil. He directed this uh, indie horror movie called The Boy, which is very good and very disturbing. And he also directed the first season of uh, Channel Zero, Candle Cove. And it focuses on uh, you know the notorious murders of Lizzie Borden, alleged murders, because she was acquitted, but pretty much everyone <laughs> agrees that she did it. Um, uh, Chloe Sevigny plays Lizzie Borden. Um, Kristen Stewart, who I'm a big fan of, just uh, plays her maid. And the film is just about uh, events both before and after the murders. Um, I don't know a whole lot about the movie. I don't know what stance it's going to take. I just I'm interested in the director and the cast alone and the topic because I'm a I'm a big fan of just true crime stories, especially older true crime stories like from this era uh that alone has me very interested in the film 
Ben, I'm sorry to bother you, but what is your next pick on this list? <laughs> I see what you did there, Peter. It's a movie called Sorry to Bother You. Uh, this is the directorial debut of writer-director Boots Riley, who is a uh, a poet, a rapper, a producer. Um, he's been sort of, uh, you know, on the the outskirts of the uh, the artistic community for a long time. And this is his first, uh, you know, sort of deep dive into actually making a movie. Uh, the cast here is really the the big selling point for me. Lakeith Stanfield from Atlanta, Tessa Thompson from Thor Ragnarok, uh, Stephen Yoon from The Walking Dead, and Army Hammer from call me by your name are the is you know makes up the the core cast of this movie uh it's basically about a telemarketer who's played by lakeith stanfield who discovers a magical selling power that lives inside of him and army hammer plays quote his cocaine snorting orgy hosting obnoxious and relentlessly optimistic boss so uh (laughs) i mean my what i wrote in our little write-up thing here our little uh blurbs here was that if you're not interested in this movie based on that information alone i really don't know what to tell you because that uh that's all i need to be really stoked about this that sounds interesting brad what is the next movie on your list I'm looking forward to seeing a movie called The Kindergarten Teacher, which stars Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, In addition to being a sucker for coming-of-age movies like Peter is, I'm also a sucker for, um, I guess what you could call a subgenre of those kinds of movies, which is movies about precocious young kids being teamed with adults who try and help them out and achieve their dreams. Um, and that, and that's kind of uh, what this movie is about. Maggie Gyllenhaal plays uh, a kindergarten teacher who is kind of becoming numb to her life. She's a little bit frustrated. She uh, feels like she hasn't really achieved what she had originally set out to do. And the only real solace she gets from life is this evening poetry class that she takes in Lower Manhattan. Uh, and in that class, she meets uh, this five-year-old boy who is somehow this incredible poet. And so she goes out of her way to try and help him uh, you know, escape this, you know, uh, the bane of life that she um, ended up living and hoping that she can help him, you know, achieve something greater and become, you know, a great writer, a great poet um, at great risk to her own personal life. And yeah, I, I just I like seeing stories like this, especially because uh, it's always fascinating to see young talents discovered. Um, you know, uh, Brooklyn Prince was another one this year from the Florida Project. It was just great to see a young actress like that come out of nowhere and give this incredible performance. Uh, and I'm interested to see what the uh, the young child actor in this movie uh, can do alongside Maggie Gyllenhaal as well. And my, the next film on my list is a film called Puzzle. And uh, this is unfortunately a film that I'm not going to get to see at the festival because I think it plays on Wednesday after we leave. But I, I did it did seem interesting. It was on my most anticipated. And it stars Kelly McDonald. Uh, she plays a suburban mom. Uh, named Agnes, who discovers a passion for solving jigsaw puzzles, uh, which unexpectedly draws her into a new world where her life unfolds in ways she could have never imagined, quote unquote. Uh, the hobby turns into obsession and Agnes finds herself in uh, the unexpected world of puzzle competitions in a quest for self-awareness. Uh, as someone who has gotten sucked into many uh, uh peculiar hobbies uh you know board games magic etc uh i can certainly relate to the idea of falling into this type of rabbit hole and of course uh i've always loved kelly mcdonald's performances director mark uh turtle 
is best known for producing films such as Little Miss Sunshine, uh, Colin Trevorrow's Safety Not Guaranteed, uh, Liv Schreiber's Everything is Illuminated, and Jeff Nichols' Loving. Uh, I never saw his 2013 directorial debut, God's Behaving Badly, but the premise uh, here is more than enough to have my attention. Uh, and yeah, so that is the next movie on my list. And going from that, we're going back to Chris for Mandy. Yeah, um, I feel like this is a film that I don't need to say that much about. Uh, it, it's It's got Nick Cage in it. He's covered in blood. He's The poster that it was just released shows him fighting someone with a chainsaw. Uh, it's from the director of uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow, which is this very weird, uh, stylistic uh, horror movie. Um, everything about this is just screams must-see for me. Uh <laughs> It's just, it's literally about Nicolas Cage just fighting supernatural forces who come to ruin his life. So I will be seeing this and I'm sure I will be loving it. So we'll see. <laughs> okay, let's move on from that to Ben with the movie Tyrell. Yeah, this one is uh, not quite as bombastic, probably, as uh, as Mandy, but um, it stars Jason Mitchell, who sort of broke out uh, with his performance as Easy e in Straight Outta Compton. Uh, Mitchell was also in Mudbound, which debuted at last year's Sundance Film Festival, and I think that movie probably has, I think, maybe his best performance that we've seen from him yet, but I'm excited to see him sort of uh, headline this movie, which uh, in which he plays a character named Tyler, who spirals out of control when he realizes his, he's the only black person attending a weekend birthday party in a secluded cabin. Um, so it's him and a bunch of white guys in a cabin, and there's like alcohol goes, you know, there's there's a lot of drinking that gets involved, and uh, and I think Caleb Landry Jones, who actually starred in Get Out last year, and actually he started in like, I don't know, 10 movies last year or something. He was all over the place. He is also in this film. Uh, he's always like a, a weird sort of wiry guy to watch, um, and especially in something with uh, with this much potential for um, you know social commentary and things like that. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of interesting things to talk about with Tyrell. Uh, this one comes from writer-director Sebastian Silva, who is a Sundance veteran. I think in 2013 he had two movies at Sundance, two like full-length narrative features um one was called magic magic and the other one was called crystal fairy and the magical cactus so uh yeah i haven't seen either of those i haven't seen any of uh, silva's previous work but that uh, concept and the idea of jason mitchell really like top lining uh, a movie like this is something that i'm definitely interested in i saw crystal fairy and it was weird it was very weird <laughs> uh th- this film was not on my um most anticipated list but now after hearing you describe it it seems like something i i would like to see but let's move on from that to a documentary film called robin williams come inside my mind brad tell us about it yeah i love a good uh showbiz documentary especially when it's about somebody that i admire and whose work i grew up with so a documentary about Robin Williams, especially since, you know, he left us all too soon a little a little while back uh, is something that I'm very excited to see, especially because it promises to have not just archive footage that we haven't seen before of him doing things like making Mork and Mindy and, uh, you know, doing his insanely energetic comedy, but also interviews with people um, that were closest to him, like Billy Crystal, other other comedians and that kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, I just, it, they're, these kind of documentaries are usually very basic. There's nothing uh revelatory about them as far as the filmmaking is concerned but it's just the information that pours out of them and the the stories told about their their life and how they were behind the scenes and during the making of the movies that we watched and and loved them in 
I just love seeing stories like that, and when, especially when it comes to Robin Williams, somebody who was so energetic and was just this force of nature when it came to performing, both in comedy and drama. Uh, I can't wait to see what this documentary has to say about him. Yeah, and there's also a documentary on Mr. Rogers that I actually want to see because I'm, I'm wondering who was he as a person? Do you know what I mean? Like we, yeah, we know sure. him from the the show, but we don't know much about Mr. Rogers. Um, but next up on my list is probably the most me film of this year's Sundance Film Festival, and that is a film called Summer of '84. This comes from the three directors of Turbo Kid, which premiered at the fe- festival. Uh, a couple years ago uh it's a coming of age drama that sounds like stranger things meets zodiac uh meets um uh what's the alfred hitchcock film where uh the guy's looking from across the way rear window rear window yes i don't know why i was blanking on that uh but anyways uh it's coming of age uh drama where uh the story follows a group of teenage friends who spend their summer spying on their their police officer neighbor who they suspect is a serial killer. And, quote, as they get closer to discovering the truth, things get dangerous. Uh, we ran a trailer for this film on the site last week. You can go check it out. It looks like a solid throwback. I love Turbo Kid. Uh, when I saw it at the 2015 Sundance Film Festival, it uh, I don't think it got discovered that much by people. And I think if it came out after Mad Max Fury Road, it maybe more people would have... Uh, found it uh with its insane 70s tribute uh if summer of 84 is half as ambitious and audacious as turbo kid i think we're all in for a treat and uh that is my last pick but we'll move on to the last pick of this list and that is from chris it's a movie called piercing uh yeah so uh the director of this film is a guy named nicholas pesci uh, he directed uh, a horror movie called the eyes of my mother which is one of the the best horror movies I've ever seen. It's just this very weird, unsettling, uh, almost abstract sort of film. So on the basis of that alone, I'm very excited for what he does next. And what he does next is this film, which is adapted from a a book, which I haven't read, but I've heard the book is very disturbing. So uh, it seems like this guy has a niche and that is disturbing films. And it's about a, a, a family man played by Christopher Abbott, who was in um, It Comes at Night and a bunch of other movies, who has a dark secret. And that dark secret is he wants to uh, murder a prostitute. But when the prostitute shows up at the hotel room he rented, things don't go according to plan. Um, again, uh, this is one of those films I don't know a whole a lot about, but just based on the people involved with it, I'm, I'm really uh, interested in seeing it. And now this is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, we each listed three films we wanted to see, but there's we're going to see, you know, a dozen, maybe two dozen films at this year's festival. Uh, so keep listening to the Slash Film Daily and reading SlashFilm.com. We'll have written reviews on there. We'll have our uh, thoughts on the, the movies we liked on here. And, uh, you know, we'll keep you updated on uh, what films that you'll want to be looking out for. Uh, when you know they come to your neck of the woods from the Sundance Film Festival, uh, and that does it for today's Slash Film Daily. Uh, you can find more on all the stories we mentioned today on SlashFilm.com, linked in the show notes. Uh, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and television, as well as deeper dives into the features from SlashFilm.com. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast. 
all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at slashfilm.com and leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on there. Please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes and spread the word. Tell your friends. We will see you tomorrow. <laughs>